The book of Galatians is like a man who had an interview. Hi, I'm here uh, for the interview with the boss. Oh, hey, great. Your name is? Uh, Turcotte, Andre Turcotte. Oh, yes, here you are. Perfect, you're just on time. I try to be uh, on time all the time. So. Great. Okay. Is, is there anything I need to know? Uh, I'm not quite sure where his office is. Uh, it's very simple. You're just going to take this elevator behind you. Okay. You're going to go up to the seventh floor. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one there. We can't miss him. And do I need to bring anything, do anything... Nope, just go as you are. Just go as I am. Okay, great. Thank you very All much. All right, take care. Bye bye. Well, yeah, it's my best suit. I this is, I got an interview. That's what you wear for an interview, isn't it? Well, you, you look pretty good. Pretty good. What do you mean? Well, I, I don't know. If, it, if I were you, I, I think I'd want to impress him a little bit more than that. Well, I definitely want to impress him because, I mean, this is the job of a lifetime. I mean, I, I want to get in there good. What, do well, you know the boss? I, I know him really well. Excellent. So okay. So what would you do? I have some things here I think I could help you with. Okay. He loves camping. No, biking. This is biking stuff, right? <laughs> And uh, if you were to go in with this stuff, yeah. I think he'd identify with you. Okay. And I, I think you'd have a good first impression. Get that connection going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely want to connect with the boss. So, okay. I hear chemistry is one of those things that help you get hired. So, okay. Good. Very good. Got my biking Very stuff. Good. Oh, good. You know what? I, thanks for the, the... No, that's not enough. Okay. You know, Camping. 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 Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Take this as well. Then okay. you've got the biking, you've got the camping, he likes both, he'll be impressed, this will work. We can be like best friends or something. That's the way to start. Okay, yeah. good, thanks. Yeah. No. Um, you know, that summer stuff? Yeah. For the winter, he loves snowshoeing. Snowshoeing? Yeah. Great. Yeah, take okay. it with you too, because... Uh, Winter's coming soon. Well, and this kind of shows that I'm an all-around guy, not just a summer guy, right? That's right. Okay, that's good. good. Excellent. Okay. Well, you've been very helpful. I appreciate it. No. You know, the boss travels a lot. I could show him my passport. I travel a lot. You do? Um, You know, why don't you just take your baggage with you? That way, he'll... uh, He'll know you've just been traveling, and uh, he'll be impressed, Okay. And, uh, this will help. Very good. It'll look good. Okay, well, I, I hope this connects, and if I get the job, I'll let you know. Thank you. Uh, one more thing. He loves kayaking. Kayaking. Yeah. Of course. You know, there you go. Okay. You are set now. Uh, okay. Don't Thanks. Um, I have a little problem here. Mr. Turcotte, what's, ha- what's happening? I'm stuck in a tree, actually. Uh, well, what, what on earth have you done? Well, I was going up to see the boss, and, and this fine gentleman here said he knew the boss really well, and 
said that I'd make a much better impression if I took along things that the boss liked to do. Are those the instructions I gave you? No, he just said go upstairs and he's waiting for me. But I, I really want this job. Well, you just need to go as you are. I mean, I don't, I don't need any of this stuff. No, it's very simple. Just take the elevator to the seventh floor and he's waiting for you. Maybe I should take the kayak paddle, because I mean, that, that looks pretty good, don't you think? It might look good, but you don't need it. Okay. So that's it, just me. Just go up there, be myself. Everything will go fine. Very simple. Just right through the elevator. Okay. Just like I say. Thanks. Bye-bye. Oh, it's that simple. See, the book of Galatians was the book that Paul wrote to the Galatian people because he wanted to, to back up a very simple message. He had told the Galatians about who Jesus Christ was. And he said, salvation, quite simply, is found only through Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that we have to do, but all we have to do is believe. We have to accept that Jesus paid that price. And upon that acceptance, we have the guarantee of eternal life with God in heaven. The problem was some things happened. Some people got in there, stirred the pot a little bit, and Paul hears about this a little later, and he has to write this letter to Galatians to be able to deal with this problem uh, that's gone on. But before I dive into some of those things, we need to take a look at our corny uh, cartoon for the week. Again, remember, I didn't do these. Um, it's just I was told this is what we have to do for the series. No, I just do. Okay, what is, what, what is this? Can I, what kind of bird's that? A stork? No. <laughs> a gull? It's a gull, okay? So we have a gull on what? Egg. And what's the egg doing? Shining. Gull egg shines. Gull egg shines. <laughs> it took me a while to figure that one out, too. Uh, but that's just the name, right? What's really important is on the uh, right-hand side, it's the chains that are there. The book of Galatians the theme of Galatians is unshackled. It is freedom in the faith. Because of the message that Paul is giving, the message of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be shackled and burdened by the law, but we are free to live our faith the way that God wants us to in the freedom that Christ has paid for us. So gull egg shines unshackled. Freedom in Christ. When we take a look at the map, this gives us an idea of where Galatia is. Now, Galatia, unlike Corinth, when we studied the book of Corinth, uh, of Corinthians, Corinthians was written to a city, which was Corinth. And that's where the church was, was in that city. But Galatians wasn't a city. Galatians is more like a region or a province or an area. And it had several different little towns and cities and villages within it. And there were churches scattered throughout Galatians. Now, the area of Galatia is basically central Turkey for what we know in modern day times now. And so Paul was writing this letter to the churches in Galatia, and he was expecting that once he wrote this letter, that it would be passed around to all the different churches, so that way they would be able to take it, read it, uh, and, and listen to it, discuss it, and apply it to their different churches. So it wasn't just one singular church he was writing to. Really, he was writing to an entire uh, region of churches. The date of Galatians is somewhere between 49 AD and 56. Now, it depends on uh, who you read and what scholars you listen to. There's uh, this thing called the South Galatian Theory and the North Galatian Theory. 
And the one says that it was uh, done earlier in Paul's first missionary journey. The other one says it was done later in a second, after a second missionary journey. Uh, but most scholars will probably lean to the South Galatian theory, which says it was A.D. 49. And for that reason, they would say that this is probably the first letter that Paul has written to the churches that he's planted uh, throughout the New World, that he's been traveling, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these are churches that he's had the privilege of sharing the gospel with, of, of seeing this uh, wonderful growth start, and then hearing the reports of how they're developing. But every once in a while, he gets these reports that they've gone a little bit off track. And that's what happens here. Um, and we'll take a look a little later at exactly what the problem was. Now, what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles at this point and open them up to the book of Galatians. And I'm going to take a little bit of an aside here. I want to encourage all of you, because many of you probably don't have your Bibles here today, and I'm guilty of the same thing. I often will come to church, and it's really easy to not bring your Bible, because we often put the Scriptures up on the, the front overhead, right? But for this series especially, the Highway 27, I think there is absolutely no better way for you to become proficient in the use of your Bible than to actually have your own Bible right in front of you. So that way, as we go through each book, you can mark it in the margin. And we're going to talk about freedom today, which means you're allowed to mark your Bible in the margin. And uh, as you go through it, you'll be able to know, okay, this is where it's found. I know when I'm looking for something, I go, oh yeah, I remember this verse is like the top left-hand corner of that page. And as I learn my Bible, that's how I, I can find things more quickly. So, you may not have brought your Bible today. That's okay, i got a lot of the Scripture up here. For next week, I'm speaking on Ephesians. Please make sure you bring your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to try and have New Testaments at least at the back, so that way you can borrow one and you can go through it, so that way you get used to going through the Word. Very, very important, especially on a series like this where we're systematically going through the books of the New Testament. That's my little aside on the Bible. Book of Galatians. The overview. Galatians is divided into six chapters. And it nicely kind of splits itself up in three sections. The first section is chapters 1 and 2. And really this, in chapters 1 and 2, we see the introduction, which is kind of a standard format uh, for letters in those days. Paul defines the problem fairly quickly. And then he goes into this fairly long um, discussion or, or um, section where he, he's talking about his credentials, his uh, calling as an apostle and his... Uh, ability to speak with authority about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the first section. Is Really, Paul's credentials takes up the most of that. The second section, chapters 3 and 4, really uh, contains Paul's theological arguments. Paul is taking the time to say, look, it's not just good enough to, to listen to my words, but here are the proofs and here's the systematic uh, understanding of how the new covenant fits with the old, old covenant and what that means for us. And because of that, how we should live. And that takes us into the last part, which are chapters 5 and 6, which is the application and the implication of what it all means. If Paul is called by God to preach the gospel and has the authority to do so, if he has given us the theological foundations for why we have the freedom in Christ and we don't have to be uh, stuck with the law anymore, then what does that mean for us as believers? Now remember, the people he was writing to in Galatia, there were a couple of things. First of all, they weren't Jews. Now, there may have been some Jewish influence. There may have been the odd Jewish person there. But by and large, they were Gentiles of Grecian origin. So they, they wouldn't have had all of the, the, the background and the baggage that the Jews had. And the other thing was, is that uh, the, the, Galatians, the Galatians had heard about the gospel for the very first time. And so they weren't a very old church. But Paul lays all this out. 
And because they were believers, they had already received faith in Christ. When he writes this letter, he's dealing specifically with this, this Galatian church who are believers in Christ. So those are the three sections as he lays it out. <coughs> so let's take a look at chapter 1. Chapters 1 and 2, defending his authority. Starting at very first, verse 1. Verses 1 to 5 are, is the greeting and the introduction. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, this is a pretty standard way to start a letter. And, you know, when we write a letter to somebody, what do we do? We say, Dear John, and we write the whole letter, and then we sign it our name. In ancient times, when writers wrote a letter to somebody, they would always put their name at the very front, so that way you would know who this letter was coming from. And then shortly after that, in the introduction, they would say, From Paul, and then to the churches in Galatia, is how he writes it later on. But it's interesting. Paul, right at the very beginning, even in his introduction, where he's saying, This is me, Paul, he kind of outlines the authority that God has given him. He says, this isn't just any Paul. This isn't just, you know, some guy down the street. But remember, this is Paul the Apostle, the one who came to you. (coughs) Sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who who raised him from the dead. So Paul, right at the very beginning, is establishing his authority and his credentials in the introduction to this letter. So that way, the the Galatians will be able to remember that Paul is is one who has been sent by God to do this. might ask the question, well, why would he do that? Why would he throw that in right off the bat? Well, scholars believe that whoever was in Galatia, and they call them Judaizers, were trying to discredit Paul's message. And not only his message, but saying, you know what, who's Paul anyway? Have you ever really checked out his credentials? Do you really know who he is? Maybe he's just like making this stuff up. And they probably were saying, look at us, we're good Jews, we're of the lineage of whatever, and we're doing this, this, and this, and this is what we know, and here's how the Scripture goes. So that's why Paul, right at the very beginning, establishes and begins to establish his credibility in the introduction. He shows that his mandate is directly from Christ. Then he steps into defining the problem. We see in verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul he doesn't take any time to kind of have that soft entry, but he starts right away and says, I can't believe that you are taking something which was so simple. Remember the play. It's just like go through the door, up the elevator to the seventh seventh floor, and he's right there. I can't believe you're taking an instruction that's so simple and you're trying to add all of these things for it and you're becoming weighed down by it. Why have you just... Uh, disregarded everything that I've said. Why are you deserting the one who called you by grace? Why are you deserting by me? Which again leads to the understanding that there are probably some people who are discrediting Paul. And because of that, the Galatian churches are deserting what Paul had called them to do and moving towards this gospel uh, with extra laws and rules around it. See, the problem, and uh, the rest of 6 to 9 defines the problem, and throughout the, the rest of the book we'll see it as well, was that these Judaizers were saying to the Galatian churches, you know what, it's not good enough to just have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to have faith, yes, and they weren't saying that you shouldn't have faith. (coughs) I have a tickle in my throat. It's not good enough to just have faith in Jesus Christ. But God promised Abraham that he would bless all the peoples of the earth through Abraham's seed. And that the mark of that promise was circumcision. 
So if you're really going to be saved, if you're really going to be a child of God, a child of Abraham, part of the covenant relationship, God's promise, you can't just believe in Jesus Christ, but you have to be circumcised as well. Remember, circumcision was something that was only really done amongst the Jews in that area. So for these Greeks, it would have been something totally uh, different that they hadn't really heard of. And I'm sure these Judaizers would have gone through a lot of the Old Testament uh, portions of Scripture, which talked about that being circumcised in the eighth day and, and the meanings that it had behind all those things. And all of a sudden, the Galatian church was thrown into uh, chaos. They were like, well, I know Paul said this, but now these people are saying this and they've given us Scripture verses. What should we do? And that's why Paul so vehemently is laying out this letter. Because he's saying, don't let yourself get sidetracked. Don't let yourself get bogged down with all of these extra rules and things. Because freedom in Christ, salvation that you have through Jesus Christ alone, is pure and simple and perfect. You don't need anything else. So Paul's given his greeting. He's defined the problem that he's addressing right off the bat. And now he really steps into... Uh, the heavier part of, of defining his credentials. Chapters 1, 9 to two fourteen, and verse 11 specifically, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He says, remember the story that I told you. When I was a zealous Pharisee, uh, of Pharisees, and I was, I was helping persecute the church, and I was holding the clothes of the men who were stoning Stephen. And after that, on my way to Damascus, when the Lord appeared to me and knocked me down on the ground and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember how I told you how that totally changed my outlook, and I realized that I was persecuting the Messiah, the one true God. Remember how I told you that Jesus Christ was the one who revealed to me his message and His Gospel and His plan of salvation. And it wasn't something that I went away to study and to learn. But this was revealed to me by the Gospel of Jesus Christ through a personal interaction and relationship with Him. But just in case, just in case that's not good enough for you, He says in chapter 2, verse 9, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. So just in case it's not good enough that Jesus himself gave me this message and that this wasn't made up by man, James, Peter, and John, remember those super apostles, the ones back in Jerusalem who walked with Christ, who ate with Christ, who were part of the whole uh, first section? They as well have said, yes, we acknowledge you as somebody sent to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He's saying, Galatian church, This is me, Paul. This is the one who brought you the good news. I have the credentials and the credibility to speak this word. Whoever's throwing you into turmoil, whoever's telling you these other things, they don't have the credibility that I have because I have been authorized by Christ Himself and by the apostles, the church in Jerusalem, to tell you the good news and the truth. And I'm not forgetting anything. I'm not misunderstanding it. So why is credibility important? Why can't... Paul just jumped right into the theological arguments and let Scripture talk for itself. Because the person who is interpreting the Scripture and throwing out the Scripture, it's very important that people understand them as somebody of a person of knowledge who has the authority to actually speak on it. Remember when the uh, people would listen to Jesus and they say, He spoke with authority, not as the Pharisees did. And it was because of that authority that the words He said had credibility. 
Let me tell you a story which kind of il- illustrates credibility. Uh, back, oh, 10, 11 years ago, and I, I was kind of between jobs and, and uh, I'd finished youth pastoring in one church and was in the process of getting to another, but I, I needed to, to get kind of a fill-in job to do something. So I heard about this job uh, where you sold this product called SodaStream. Has anybody ever heard of SodaStream? Nobody's heard of SodaStream. See, it didn't go very far. Um, anyway, SodaStream was, I, it was kind of a nifty invention, I, I guess, if, if you were a big pop drinker. But what it was was this little pop machine. And it had the CO2 cartridge in the back, and there were these plastic bottles. And what you would do is you would take the syrup, uh, and you could buy the syrup like directly from Coke or Pepsi or whatever, and you'd pour it like proportionally in, in the bottle and add water to it, and then you'd, you'd plug it into this machine, press the button, and it'd go, and it would carbonate uh, all this, this water and this syrup, and, and you had just made your own pot. Now, the key selling feature of this, there were a couple points. First of all, it was supposed to be cheaper than buying pop in the can or in the bottle at the store. But not only was it cheaper, but it was better pop because it was fresh. It was pop that you had made right in the, in, within your own kitchen, and it was there, and you could make as much or as little as you want, and they would always pull out the two-liter bottle and say, have you ever had you know, a couple of cups, and then you put it back in the fridge, two days later it goes flat because it's too much? Well, with SodaStream, you could you know, just make two cups worth if that's all you wanted. Anyways, so the spiel, spiel went on. So I thought, okay, well, I'll try my hand at sales, and I'll go and sell this product. So I go to a couple of places, and I, I start through this, you know, the sales pitch and stuff. And I, I tried really hard to convince these people that they really wanted this, because it was all commission, right? <laughs> the inevitable question was this. So what does it taste like? Is, is there a difference between, you know, the, the pop that you buy at the store or, you know, this stuff? And I said, well, try it for yourself. But I say, but what do you think? The problem was, I didn't drink pop. I don't drink pop. I don't like pop. I, I, I don't even think it's very good for you, really. But So I all of a sudden realized I had a huge credibility issue. I couldn't sell this product that I... I mean, it was a nifty product in concept, but I really didn't believe in the outcome at all because it wasn't something that I would use, that I would buy, or that I even wanted. So selling SodaStream was not the job for me. So I found another job, and I worked construction for a while. That was much better. Credibility is important, and that's why Paul spends so much time, a third of the book, saying, look, I have the credentials. Remember in 2 Corinthians that Stevens talked to us about last week, he was talking about the suffering of Paul, and it was because of the, the stripes that he bore on his back, and it was because of the suffering that Paul had gone through that he had credibility to talk to the Corinthian church and to really chastise them and correct them in the way he did because of the things that he had gone through. So credibility is very, very important. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you've gone through different things. And maybe you're wondering why God's calling you. Well, perhaps God is calling you to experience different things so that way you can have the credibility to minister in an area that God wants you to minister in. So that's kind of an aside application from this book. But now that Paul has um, given us the the credibility and he's shown us what it's all about and why he has the, uh, the authority to be able to speak on this. He goes in the theological overview. Chapters 3 and 4. And starting at uh, verse 10 specifically, he says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. 
He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, Paul is saying through this section, he's saying Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He did everything necessary to take care of all of the aspects of the law. Because in and of ourselves, we could never fulfill the law. It says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. See, Paul is saying, look, if you get circumcised, yeah, I know that's only one little thing, but as soon as you do that, as soon as you do that one part of the law, you have to do the entire law. Because if you break one part of the law, the whole law is broken. Let me illustrate this. This is my son's Woody doll. You know Woody from Toy Story. He's a little bit floppy, but... Let's say that this chain represents the law. Okay, and let's say that each link is a different law. So one might be lying and cheating and stealing and coveting and whatever you want to to label them as. If you cut any link on this chain, right? Because when you try to get to heaven by the law, you've got to go through every, you've got to climb every single link. But if one link breaks, so if you sin once, that link breaks, the entire law is broken. You're separated from God. At that point, at the very first time you sin, and we're all born into sin, we're separated from God. We can't fix that link. We can't make it better in and of ourselves outside of Christ. So Paul is saying, if you are trying to live your faith by one part of the law, you've got to live the whole law. Because if you can't do one part of the law, the whole law is broken and you are separated from God. And the grace that you receive through Jesus Christ at salvation is meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing. But what does Jesus do? Jesus came to earth and he was able to climb every single link of the law, fulfilling the law, living a perfect life. And once he did that, once he was securely in his place in heaven, once he had conquered sin and death, he reached down and he said, look, you don't have to live like this anymore. I'm going to take the chain off you. I'm going to give you freedom. You don't have to worry about the law anymore. But I'm going to set you on the solid ground. Now, Woody's not very solid himself, but sometimes he stays. There we go. Jesus, fulfilling the law, was able to get to that place where he could reach down and by grace put us on the solid ground without having to fulfill any of the law. And so what Paul is saying is if you are circumcised, if you take even that one part of the law, then the whole law is something that you need to contend with. And as soon as you break one part, you're separated from God. So he says, don't go that way. If, if you do that, Jesus has died for nothing. Verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law has been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, Paul is saying it's not in opposition. Jesus fulfilling the law doesn't oppose the law because these Judaizers would say, no, you've got to have faith in Christ and do the law because if you don't do the law, then you're, you're missing out on a huge part. He's saying, no, Jesus took care of that. The law is no longer the factor in our salvation. The law is something that has already been fulfilled and been used for its purpose. In fact, the law shows us how much we need the grace of Jesus. Because by ourselves, we simply are not capable of climbing the chain of law to get to heaven. 
And Paul gives a passionate plea. He says, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Do you want to have the chains wrapped around you all over again? Are you observing special days and months and seasons and years? I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He says, beloved Galatians, remember how far I traveled. Remember what I went through to bring you the good news. He says, I don't want to waste my effort on you. Don't get caught up in the law. Understand the grace of Jesus Christ as it is. He talks about them observing special days and months. And just my guess is, as these Jews were just imparting their rituals on the Galatian church, it would have just been like piling things on them one at a time to the point where they were saying, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do all this anymore. How do we do that today? How do we, being Christians who have faith in Jesus Christ, or perhaps in our spiritual journey, we haven't made that commitment yet. Perhaps we haven't got to the point where we've said, Jesus, I accept the free gift that you've given me to be saved, to have eternal life with God. And perhaps we're trying to earn our way into heaven before we've accepted Christ or even after we've accepted Christ. We're saying, well, you know what? Just in case having faith in Christ isn't enough, maybe I'll make sure that I do this. Maybe these expectations that are put upon me are this way. Maybe I'll make sure I'm wearing a tie. And Paul, a little later on, he says, for those people who are telling you to to be um, circumcised, I wish they would go the whole way and castrate themselves. In modern days, he'd say, for those people who say, look, you've got to wear a tie if you're going to be a real Christian and if you're going to be really good, I wish they would hang themselves with their ties. Because they're missing the point. If that is the focus of your Christianity, you're absolutely missing the point. We in no way are made right before God by going to church, by lighting candles, by wearing the right or the wrong clothes, even by feeding the poor or giving money to the church or those in need. We're not made right by praying a certain type of prayer at a certain type of day, choosing the right path, eating the right foods, confessing our sins to a person, or doing penance. None of these acts of trying to earn our way to salvation will work. Paul says the only thing that counts is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying any of these things are bad, necessarily. Giving to the poor and and doing good things are good. But it becomes something we do because we want to live the fullness of life in Christ as opposed to something we have to do to try and earn a spot in heaven. The law, after we've been set free, becomes a reference for us to understand God and becomes a reference that we uh, we can kind of calibrate from. I think of my boys... And I think of, you know, when I tell them, Paul, Joshua, don't run into the road. Because if you run into the road and, and a car comes and I say, you know, and a, and a car hits you, it could really hurt you very bad. And Paul goes, yeah, and it could make you dead. <laughs> I'm not telling him that to impart this set of rules to make his life miserable and, and to just add all these rules to him. I'm telling that so he can be safe, so he can live his life fully and abundantly. In the same way, after salvation in Jesus Christ, the reference of the law, stealing, not committing adultery, those things keep us free from guilt. They keep us free from consequences of those sins. They keep us free uh, from those things. Because if we're not going down those roads, we don't have to worry about that. We're saved by Jesus Christ, but there are still consequences for the acts that we do. And so God's saying, look, you can be saved by faith, and then my law actually helps you to live a life that you don't even have to worry about the physical consequences on the earth. That's how they work together. 
Some of you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in a little bit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Some of you have accepted Him and are still trying to earn your way. And we'll deal with that as well. But Paul continues. In chapter 5 and 6, he gives the implication and the application. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He says, Mark my words. I, Paul, remember the guy who had all those credentials. I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Remember, you've got to do the whole thing. And again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit of righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. None of these laws, none of these things we do trying to earn our salvation has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only way to eternal life is to be clear of the debt that we owe God, is to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe that He paid for it and to accept that gift. We have to confess Him as Lord and Savior. Then we're free. The chains are taken off and we're heaven bound. Any works that come out of that are more an expression of love towards God than they are an expression of trying to earn God's love. So does this mean we don't have to worry about right or wrong? Luther, when he was talking about this, at the end of his message, said, Therefore, since you are free, go and sin boldly. And I don't think I'll quite go to that point, because Paul does, uh, in chapter 5, verse 13, uh, he says this. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, is this a law that he's saying you need to do in order to be saved? No, not at all. But what he's saying is, look, if we love one another as ourselves, think of how good that will be. There's several hundred people in this congregation. In our society, we're taught, me first, take care of yourself, right? So if one person, if everybody loves themselves only, how many people do you have loving you? One, right? If everybody within this church, within this congregation right here, loves one another like themselves, how many people all of a sudden do you have loving you, looking out for you, caring for you? You have hundreds of people. See how much better it is to follow God's commands, to love one another? It's not so we can be bound, so that way we can experience the freedom of being loved by so many people and being cared after. That's what it's all about. Paul concludes in chapter 6, verses 11 to 18, And really the the pinnacle of that is verse 15. He says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are new creations. We're not guilty anymore. All of the, the, the shamefulness, the doubt, the guilt, all of the that feeling of being unworthy, it's all cast away. Jesus says, no, I'm making you whole. I'm washing that. You're clean and white and pure and holy. You're a child of God, able to come before God without anything to worry about. The only thing that counts is being a new creation. So what are the applications to this? Well, 
The first application is this. If you've never accepted the free gift that has been provided by Jesus' death, today's the day. There's no reason to wait. It's not about being chained up. In fact, when you become a Christian, the, the biggest misconception is, is, oh, becoming a Christian means I have to live by all these rules. No, when you become a Christian, all of a sudden all the rules are taken off and you live free by the Spirit. And it's this easy. I have a mug here. And this mug is free for anybody who wants to, to get it. Who, who would like this mug? Somebody come up and get it. Someone. Come on up. There you go. There you go. It's your mug. Wasn't that easy? That is how easy it is to accept this gift that Jesus has, has given to us. I remember it was, over, it was just over 21 years ago. I was a young man, 13 years old, and I was sitting in one of the pews of the church. And the pastor preached about Jesus Christ and how we could have faith in Christ. And he said, if you want to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he said, you just come meet me at the front here. He said, that's all it is. And I remember after I did that, one of the elders took me in the back and he showed me through Scripture. He said, you know, do you realize that you're a sinner? That you can't do this without God? You, you know, you can't climb up the chain? I said, yeah, I know. I just, I've just been trying to do religion and it just hasn't made sense. He says, do you realize that Jesus paid the price that you don't have to do it on your own anymore? I said, yeah. And he says, then all you need to do is confess that you believe that. Accept Christ in your heart. And that's it. You're a Christian. You're free. Wow. It's so easy. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Nothing else you have to do. So I'm going to pray in a few minutes. And if if you've never done that before, I want you to do that today. It will set you free and you'll be able to enjoy freedom like you've never enjoyed it before. And for others of you, you might be a believer, but you continually slip back into law-based religion and you set aside the freedom. You set aside and live the... Sorry. Set aside... And live the freedom that Christ died for. Don't be caught up in law anymore. Don't be worried about what people say. Don't be worried about all these different things. Just say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me and help me to just live the life here starting now on earth. Being a Christian is not just about heaven. It's about now. About experiencing God now. Having that relationship. Don't let yourselves be burdened, folks. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you, through the law, showed us how much need we had, how far away we were, how much sin we uh, were full of. And I thank you that you, through Jesus Christ, provided a way for us to be debt-free without having to pay any of it, just simply accepting the receipt that says paid in full. So Lord Jesus, I know that there are some people here today who have never made that commitment. And their heart might be pounding now because they can feel your Holy Spirit calling them. And Jesus, we just pray these words to you. And if if you're here today and you want to accept Christ into your heart for the first time, pray these words with me. Jesus, thank you that you have paid the price for me. I know that I'm a sinner and that I can't do it by myself. And I repent of that sin. Jesus, fill me. Become Lord of my life. Make me whole. Make me a new creation so that way I can live in the freedom that you have paid for. Thank you for your gift. I receive it now. In Jesus' name. And for those, Lord, who have been following you, perhaps for years and years, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just show them right now the areas of law that they get tangled up in. 
And Father, I just pray that you would reach down and just take the chains away. Say, my son, my daughter, I don't want you to live bound anymore. I want you to live free. That's what I died for. Live free. So, Father, I just pray that you would give them that freedom. Fill them with your Spirit and help them to live by the fruits of the Spirit, which gives incredible freedom. Glorify yourself on this day in the lives of all of us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The rest of chapter 5 and and chapter 6, Paul just expands even more on the application for us as believers. And I want to encourage you, there's the study guides at the back. If you want to just dive into this a little more and understand the freedom that we have and just uh, embrace it, pick up a study guide at the back. Um, meet together with your small group, discuss uh, the passages. If you don't have a small group, call somebody up and say, hey, let's get together and make a small group so we can talk about this. Uh, I think the richness of this book will just empower you to live like you've never lived before. So my benediction and my blessing for you is may you take the freedom of Jesus Christ that he has paid for completely and wholly. May you embrace it, casting off all of the chains which would weigh you down. And may you run in that freedom more abundantly than you ever have before. Go in Jesus' name.